this morning pick up where uh, we left off last week. We did not finish last week. Uh, and the message last week, we're talking about uh, uh, God's faithfulness and our failures. 1 Corinthians 1, a couple of things. I'm not going to spend, obviously, I can't review the whole, the whole thing. That would uh, not be uh, good for time. We wouldn't ever finish. But 1 Corinthians 1 is a scripture that I read last week. 1 Corinthians 1, 27, 29. We're going to be in Exodus 2, so make your way to Exodus. But the scripture reads in 1 Corinthians 1, that instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think that they are wise. And He chose those things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose the things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. And then He says in 1 Corinthians 1.29, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Why? God chooses the most unlikely people to do His work of grace in so that no one can boast. No one can brag and say, look what I've done. It's all of God, God's wonderful grace. And so we talk about failures, God's faithfulness in our failures. And when you read the Scriptures, you read the Bible, you see that the Bible is full of failures. I, I said this last week, and I've said it before. One of the things that uh, I take kind of a, an encouragement in the fact that the Bible uh, is divinely inspired and not written by a man, per se, in its, in its origin, is the fact that it's very, it's very real. If I was writing a religious book for my new religion, I would make sure everybody that's in there is perfect, doesn't make mistakes, uh, flawless, you know, that is not what you read in Scripture. I mean, from the get-go, you've got the first parents, Adam and Eve, blowing it, making an absolute horrible failure uh, in the garden. Noah uh, got drunk and disgraced himself with his daughters. Abraham uh, lied twice about his wife being his sister. Isaac did the same thing. Jacob the son of Isaac deceived his father and cheated his brother out of his birthright. He was a cheat. David, of course we know David had great successes, but he had great failures. Uh, the disciples all abandoned Jesus, failed Jesus, um, and then doubted his resurrection. Peter denied Jesus and later waffled on, uh, about, his, about his relationship out of fear of uh, being discovered by the religious folks. Now, the Bible is full of failures and people who have fallen short of what God desires for our life. But again, the title of the message isn't our failures uh, as, the, as the thing that we're emphasizing. It's God's faithfulness in our failures. And many folks become uh, not just demoralized, but they become just handicapped through life because of a failure in their life or a series of failures, and some great, some small. But here's the good news of the gospel, is that God is never finished with us until we're the finished product that He has chosen and that He has designed. The good work, Philippians 1.6 says, that the good work that He has begun in you, He, He will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So failures are never fatal. Failures are never, you're never finished, 
And so this morning we want to draw some lessons that we started last week from the life of Moses concerning a colossal failure at the very beginning of his ministry. And so we opened up to Exodus chapter 2. I used this quote last week from D.L. Moody, just kind of as a reminder, survey of his life, that uh, you could group Moses' life into three groups of 40. D.L. Moody said, Moses spent his first 40 years thinking that he was somebody. He spent his second 40 years learning he was a nobody. And then he spent his third 40 years, till he died at 120, discovering what God can do with a nobody. And I thought, boy, that, that kind of surmises my life a little bit, right? And because God, again, God is willing to wait out the process to get what he wants. Have you discovered that? God will wait you out. You want to wait 40 years? He'll wait 40 years. But God will get his design. We learn a little bit, uh, again, this is just all review from last week. The message is online. You can go on YouTube where you can see the slides and the outline. I encourage you to do that because there was a lot of things that we covered under point number one. But we learned a little bit about Moses actually from the book of Acts. Stephen, who was the first martyr of the church, uh, made this statement in Acts 7.22 where he said that Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, because you remember Moses' story where he was uh, put in that basket as a baby. Pharaoh was out killing young babies, young boys, and so his mother put him in that little basket, put him in the the river, and he was later uh, retrieved and brought into the household of Pharaoh. And the Bible says that Moses, growing up in the household of Pharaoh, was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deeds. And so again, when we Come to the Bible. The first five books of the Bible are attributed to the authorship of Moses. He was was well-educated. He was well-trained. And so today, the passage that we began looking at last week was Moses' at 40 years of age where he went out and he intervened in a situation uh, that kind of backfired. And so the reason that Moses, when he hit 40 years of age... Growing up in the household of Pharaoh, why, why was this life change? It wasn't a midlife crisis, all right? I've gone through about eight of them, all right? So uh, still might go through some more, right? So it wasn't a midlife crisis, but Moses, the Bible again, we learn from the New Testament. Hebrews 11, verse 24 through 26, helps us and have some insight that says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the the reward. Now, how he knew all that, obviously, we just don't know. But it says right there, that he made a choice that he wanted to be identified with the promises and the covenant people of God. And so today, as we kind of review and and get some wisdom out of this section in Exodus chapter 2, as a reminder, Moses went about this mission, even though it was noble, here's the kicker, he went about it in the wrong way, okay? It was noble. He wanted to be on the side of God in defending his uh, fellow Israelite, But as we see, it resulted in a 40-year detour. We've made some 
mistakes. You made mistakes. I made mistakes. We'll continue to make mistakes and failures. And they sadly, they give us, they put us on a detour. You ever, you ever taken a side road? My wife hates the phrase, do you know where you're going? And I say, I think so. <laughs> she breaks out in cold sweats and she immediately pulls out her phone. I said, I think so. Well, she knows that means trouble. All right. But you ever get off somewhere and get off on a detour? I've learned that when I'm traveling on the interstate, if you want to get off for gas or you're hungry or whatever, and it doesn't say 0.1, I mean, if, it is, if you can't see it from the road, keep going. You ever done that? You're, you're hungry, you know, you're dreaming about that Big Mac at 1030 at night because you've been on the road, you know, for eight hours, and you're dreaming, and you get off that exit, and man, it just goes on and on and on to some little town, and guess what? They're closed when you get there. So, so you know, those detours, well, we go through those detours of life. Here he was, the prince of Egypt, Josephus, a church historian, or actually he wasn't a church historian, he was a Jewish historian, the church has benefited by him, uh, says in one of his history books of the antiquities of the Jews, says that Moses was actually in training to be the next Pharaoh. Pretty interesting. So he went from the prince in the palace of Egypt to becoming a shepherd in the barren wilderness of Midian. He went from the limelight of Pharaoh's household and government to isolation and, and, uh, and obscurity, and he went from being a somebody to being a nobody. So we're going to pick up on this failure in his life. And last week, uh, we only looked at the first heading, the first point, number one, which was, there was three, and we'll look at the latter two this morning. But the first one that we spent the most time with last week was this, that God's, about God's choice purpose in using our failures. God's choice purpose in using our failures, in that, that we mean this, is that God uses imperfect instruments who fail in their attempts to serve Him. That covers, that covers most of us. And so, just by way to kind of remind ourselves of the story, I hope that you brought your Bible. If you didn't, you can look it up later. It'll be on the screen. But we're going to look at Exodus 2 and read the kind of the situation just for context's sake real quick, and then we're going to uh, get and move on this morning. But Exodus 2, verses 11 through 15. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. Remember, they're living under slavery in Egypt. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people, one of Moses' people. He looked this way and that. And seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man who was in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? And he answered, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. He sat down by the well of failure. And some of you are still sitting by the well of failure 
because you think that God is finished with me. It's a fatal blow. I'm living with this shame, and God cannot use me. I'm here to remind you this morning. Really, the word of the Lord through the Holy Spirit is here to remind you that God is not ever finished with anybody until he says it is finished. Amen? And we looked at six ways that we saw in Scripture of Moses' failure, and really there's six ways that we fail. And I'm just going to, they'll all be on the screen. Don't try to write them down, but if you uh, go back and look on the YouTube, you'll see the slides. But look at these ways. I'm just going to, I've kind of narrowed them down to uh, just a word or two. We, we spent a lot of detail uh, last week. Uh, he acted impulsively, out of emotions. Anytime we do that, we always get in trouble. Uh, he relied on his own strength. There's no word that he sought God and uh, what he did. He saw it and thought, you know, I'm, I can exercise my own strength. Uh, thirdly is the struggle between the fear of man and the fear of God. The Bible says he looked this way and that. He knew what he was doing was wrong. He didn't want to be discovered. And, and he was more concerned about the fear of man than what God thought. And sometimes, again, we get in trouble when we do things under pressure because we're more concerned about what some people think than really what God thinks. Fourthly, and we uh, did spend a good amount of time here, and it was very helpful, and I hope that you'll uh, li- go back and listen to this, is that sometimes we step out and we blow it, we fail, because it's not the time or season that God is blessing for us to do something. We've got the right motive, but it's not the right season. And we talked about two words in the Greek, and I'm not going to go through that today. We talked about the, the word kairos and the word chronos, two different Greek words. Chronos is this, chronology, a watch. Tick, tick, tick. That's the time. That's a calendar. That's the day. That's where we live our lives mostly is here in this kind of time. Chronology. All right? But the other word for time in the New Testament, and we went through and saw how these are used differently, is the word kairos. Kairos means more of the season, the opportunity. What we need, not only, uh, you know, what we needed back then, but what we need in the future is we need the discernment by God to know when the kairos time is. Is this the season? Is this the opportunity that God has given? Or maybe I need to do like Mary. Remember when the angel of the Lord spoke to her and she did what? She pondered these things in her heart. That's where sometimes we blow it. We want to go out and tell everybody and make plans and do this and do that. You know what? The Holy Spirit may just say, hey, sit back, ponder these things in your heart. And wait on me. But we don't like waiting. We don't like waiting. Our blood pressure jacks up in Walmart, right? Because we can't wait to get up there and scan our own stuff now, right? You know, I mean, we're, we're just, we get, we, get in, we get impatient. And we run around to this restaurant because, well, the waiting time's 30 minutes. We run away. You know what? We ate up the 30 minutes. We should have just sat in Olive Garden and waited, right? But we're running all over town and end up going through a Taco Bell because we're impatient, right? We don't like waiting. We don't wait. Sorry to get food on your mind, Robert. I'm sorry. I know I, know I do that to some of you here. But fifthly is we try to cover up our sin. You know, he killed that Egyptian, tried to cover him up. But the Bible says in, in, in uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 28, 13, that he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Every time you try to hide something, every time you try to think nobody saw, God always sees it. 
And, and the good news of the gospel of the new covenant is we can come before God and seek his forgiveness. If God, if you have wronged somebody, you seek their forgiveness. You do the kingdom principle. You do it God's way all the time. Always obey God and leave the consequences to him, right? And so last is Moses made some false assumptions on other people. He thought, hey, when I do this, people are going to see, finally, the liberator is here, and they're going to rally to his side. Well, that didn't work out. You ever do something, and, and you think, you know, this is a good deed. I'm doing this good thing. And you made enemies, about five people in the process. And all of a sudden now, you're like, wait, whoa, what happened here? Well, he made some false assumptions. Why? Because I think it goes back to number four. He didn't know the Kairos moment. He didn't know the season of God. He had the right motive. He had the, again, he wasn't out doing something evil, but he didn't know the season of God. And that's where, again, I think it all goes back to getting tripped up. So I hope you go back, listen to that, watch it on YouTube, listen to it online, our website, podcasts, Apple or Google, however you want to do that. It's all there. And I think it will bless you. But so we looked at God's choice purpose, number one, in using our failures. But this morning, we want to look at God's careful process. Secondly, God's careful process in using our failures. Process. And here's what we mean. Is that God shapes and prepares imperfect instruments before he uses them. We don't like that, right? We don't like the process, but God is a God of process. Uh, Exodus 2.15, it says that when Pharaoh heard of it, heard of what Moses did, he sought to kill him. Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. I mean, one minute, he's in the palace and the next minute, he's sitting by a well out in the desert. Sometimes I've looked at things I've done in my life and think, how did I get from here to here? Well, go back to those five or six things. Pick, take your pick, how you got here. But, he, but that, the, the well of failure. And so Moses fled to the land of Midian. Uh, Midian is a region southeast of Israel. So he's actually in the territory of the Israelites, or at least the, the, the descendants of Abraham, Midian, it's called Midian because it was an area that was named for a son of Abraham. So he, he's gone back to those that were connected, uh, fellow Israelites. Most, again, remember, Israelites are living under slavery. How did they get to Egypt? Remember the story of Joseph and that whole thing? And so they're, they're, the majority are in Egypt, but there are still descendants living over in Midian that are connected and related to Abraham. And so that's where he went. Midian is out in the boonies. You know what the boonies are? I'm talking about even beyond the boonies of Kathleen. I mean the boonies. Now some of you, I live in Kathleen, all right? So don't, don't, don't hate me, all right? So listen, you know, there's, there's places if I named them, because they'd be somebody, that's where my grandma lives, and now I won't ever come back to church, so I'm not going to name any place. But you know there's places, you know there are places, and you say, where is that? Oh, it's out here. That's out in the boonie. That means you get out there, you're, yeah, I mean, there's nothing. There's not even a family dollar out there. I mean, you can be in the middle of the Sahara, and I bet you there's a family dollar 
Dollar, no, not, no, family doll. They, they figure out how to go everywhere. Dollar General, right, all right. All right. But he's out there. What's he doing? He's sitting by the well, but guess what? God's not done with him. God's not done with him. He's in the process. This, is, this process is the season of humility. God is still working with Moses. See, remember the principle, and we're going to expand on this in the Experiencing God study on Wednesday night, and Henry Blackaby, it's kind of just the theme that runs through his whole study on Experiencing God, is that God is always working, even when we don't see it. He's always at work. He's doing things and orchestrating. Why? Because he's sovereign. He controls all those things. And as we sang, what the enemy meant for evil, God's always working for good. And so we can have that confidence, but he, God's going to take him through the, the, the college of the desert, and he's going to get a desert diploma. It took him 40 years. Now, my degrees took me a lot longer. Most people are doctors, but, but nevertheless, he's going to spend 40 years uh, getting a diploma in the desert, and guess what? He's going to get greater schooling and learning that he could ever do than in the house of Pharaoh. God was going to teach him. He was going to spend time alone with God. This is a pattern you see when God is refining somebody's life. The Apostle Paul, it wasn't too long when you know he got converted, and if you read the story, I mean, the disciples, they were like, we got to get this guy out of here. He's, he's going to drive us all nuts. And they sent him away, and he spent years in the desert. And, and where did he get all these teachings and the revelation? Is that God was pulling him away and refining him. Sometimes God will have you sitting by the well in the desert because what is he wanting to do? He's wanting to refine you and teach you and get you isolated where it's just you and him. Just you and him. And you know what? It's kind of hard to fool around and con God when it's just you and him. And so Moses, here he is. You know what? God has him in a kairos moment, preparing him for another kairos opportunity season, and God's going to take 40 years to prepare Moses for what's coming next. 60 years old. Some of you, 60 or even younger, you think, well, I'm done. There's nothing else I can do. I can't really offer God anything. I'll just come to church and do my thing, and that's it. God's not finished. It's never fatal. Failure is never failure. And here's the principle. Failure opens our hearts. Failure, brokenness. Remember we talked about this with Jacob. Failure, brokenness, opens our hearts to our need to learn from God and how to overcome the obstacles the next time we face this, right? You've heard the saying, new levels, new devils. Right? Some of, the, some of the people you're struggling and fighting with, they, they got different faces, different t-shirts, different all that. But guess what? Some of them are the same kind of personalities and people that you dealt with 20 years ago. You think, well, I'll just move here. I'll move there. I'll change jobs. I'll go to a different church. People bounce around trying to, you know what? Guess what? God, they're the same people. Sinners. Same issues, same problems. And before long, you're like, I thought I ran away from those people down at this church, and they came over to Grace Church. So I'm going to run over here and go to this church. But it opens our hearts. Failure opens our hearts to learn from God. God uses failures to teach us. 
where we went wrong, our weaknesses, so that in the future we can learn to depend on Him and not our own self. That's God's careful process. But notice thirdly, now don't get too excited because I'm not going to end early, but thirdly, God's covenant promise in redeeming our failures. We look at God's choice purpose, God's careful process, and thirdly, God's covenant promise in redeeming our failures. Those words uh, in, in using our failures, or I think I used the word using there because it all fit on one line, but in using or redeeming our failures, God's gracious covenant faithfulness uh, promise is the basis for His redemptive work in our future. Everything God does is based on His covenant. Right, Jim? <laughs> you poke Jim, you're going to hear the word covenant in 30 seconds, right? Because he, he gets it. It, it just... Everything and how God operates, the plan of the Bible, God works through covenants. God is oriented by covenants. So why, what is the basis of God's faithfulness to Moses? It had nothing to do with Moses. It had everything to do with God's faithful covenant promises. God made covenant not with, in Genesis 15, he made covenant with Abraham. And it wasn't because Abraham could keep his end of the bargain. No. God made covenant with himself. That's what we call an unconditional covenant. So that's the basis that, that Moses, and here's the, here's the neat thing that we see in this story, is as bad as that is, Moses is having his small group pity party where he invited me, myself, and I by the well. He's there. And guess what? Moses, it's not about you. You're not the central character in this story. Let's look at it. Look at verse 23 through 25. Again, we, we leave Moses sitting at the well. But then it says, verse 23, during those many days, it, there's a hinge here. It turns. It opens another door. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. That means the Pharaoh that was in power in Moses when he was back there in Egypt, he's gone. He's died. And there's a new Pharaoh. But the one constant, it says, is that the people of Israel groaned. They were suffering because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Verse 25, God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So here we are. Those verses take us back to Egypt. Pharaoh, the old Pharaoh's dead. There's a new Pharaoh in power. Israel is still suffering. They're still operating under the, the slavery and the, uh, the abuse of being in Egypt. And God's covenant commitment, don't miss this, God's covenant commitment is the assurance, talking about now believers, is that assurance that our failures are not fatal to his purpose forever for our life. Because God has made covenant with himself. And again, what you see here in those verses 
is that God is at work. He's doing something else. Moses, up to this point, is kind of, he's the main character. But he's just a little bit character in the big story of God's purpose. We think that we, you know, we got the, 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 the main role. No, this, is, this book's about God. And we're in that, we're in that mix. I remember Corey Ten Boom made the statement uh, at one time. Some of you know who the name Corey Ten Boom survived the Nazis and uh, used great testimony. And she said, you know, when that, when that donkey on that, uh, on that uh, Palm Sunday, we call it, uh, was carrying Jesus, and everybody was out there with the palm branches waving them, Hosanna, said, you don't think that donkey thought that was all about him? What all about the donkey? They were worshiping Jesus. He didn't think, wow, look at all these people that, that showed up. No. Moses is just a part of the bigger picture of what God is doing. God's gracious covenant faithfulness prepares his servants, his people, but it also prepares his people for God's servants. You see, God is the big picture. He's not just doing something in Moses' life. Guess what? He's doing something in the Israelites' life. So that one of the things where Moses blew it is the people weren't prepared. It wasn't the Kairos season. They weren't prepared to receive Moses' leadership. And it blew it. It fell apart. So not only is God preparing Moses, he's preparing the Israelites to receive Moses' leadership. Now, interesting, there's a principle in a study of the Bible uh, that's helpful. It's called the uh, law of first mention. When you see a word or something, the first time it's mentioned. And it's interesting that uh, this, in this Exodus 2 story, uh, when we come to verse 23 and 24, or 24 and 25, it's the first time, the first mention of God in Exodus chapter 2. Not in the whole Bible, but in Exodus chapter 2. It's the first time you hear God. First time God is mentioned. And here's what I want you to hear, is it's important that the 40 additional years of suffering while Moses was hiding in the desert, not only again served to prepare Moses for God's people, but it was preparing God's people for Moses. God is working all around. He's working circumstances, situations. Look at verse 24 and 25 again. Maybe you could put it up on the, the screen. Go back to verse 24 if you could. And God heard their groaning and got... No, Make a little mark in your Bible every time that you see, you see God, what God did. God heard. God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant. Go to the next verse, verse 25. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God. God's involved here. God's at work. God's doing something. When we say God heard, saw, all that, that's his human ways that the Bible uses to, to, try, to speak about God. Because remember, we're finite. You know what, finite, we're limited, right? God is infinite. How do you talk about the infinite? Well, so we use human language. It doesn't mean God's learning stuff and God remembered like, oops, I forgot all about that. You know, I mean, it's not, no, no, no. No, they're just human ways of speaking about God. God's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's all-present, omnipresent. And so what is he doing? He hears, he remembers, and knows that his people, that's what's going on. God is going to do a miraculous thing but he's got to have the right man, the right time, but he's also got to have the people prepared 
for what God is going to do in a great way. And, and this is the phrase, verse 24, that is really the heart of this, uh, this third observation, is where it said, God remembered his covenant with Abraham. Now, we don't have, obviously, time to, to expand on, on covenants and all that type of thing. And, uh, but it wasn't that God remembered, oh, Moses, he's having such a hard time. Poor guy, you know, he tried to do the right thing, and he did some, you know, he's suffering, it was a valiant, it didn't say anything about that, does it? God, hello, hey, I'm down here. Why? Because God's got another agenda than what you're up to. We think God's all into just our agenda. God doesn't care about your agenda. Seek first the, what? Kingdom of God. Seek first His agenda, Right? And again, the experiencing God, a little commercial, that's what, again, we're talking about hearing the direction of God. It means getting in on what God is, finding out, one, what God is doing, and getting in on that. Everybody's running around, what's the will of God? Here's the will of God. Find out what God is doing, and get in on what God's doing. Get, get a part of that. Be a part of that. And so, so it says God remembered <coughs> his covenant the scripture just kind of waves that flag that God's faithfulness, not only to his people, but in Moses' life, the basis was his sovereign grace, God's covenant and the new covenant that we operate under today in the New Testament. God's plans and purpose and ordained uh, events that he sovereignly determined cannot be thwarted because God is bringing to pass his promises, and the promises are based, and the assurance that we have are based on the faithfulness of what God has said. For by grace you have been saved. That is not of yourselves. We are under the, the new covenant of Christ. We're under the, the new covenant that Jesus said at that last supper in Matthew 26. He said, this covenant is made in my blood. The new covenant that's not based upon the works of the law, it's based upon now the work of Jesus. And if you want to get in on the, on, the, on the purpose of God, is get connected into Jesus. Because Jesus, the Bible says in Colossians 3, 3, that, that my life is hidden with Christ in God. You're trying to earn and make God be pleased with you, and you're just on the religious treadmill, right, of trying to, you know, you, okay, I am in church, so God will be happy because I'm going to church today. Well, I think it's better than you don't. You don't earn anything with God. And so in the same way, when you feel like I've blown it, there's nothing I can do, I've certainly made God write me off. He's moved on without me now. No, if he did that, he'd be violating his new covenant promise that he made for your life. Again, read the scriptures of what it says about who you are in Christ, your identity, your identity is not what you did or what you failed to do. Your identity is in who Christ is, that my life is all wrapped up with Jesus. And when he sees my life, he sees a life all wrapped up with Jesus. And he's pleased with Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So be wrapped up in Jesus and enjoy the pleasure of God over your life. Now, that's not a carte blanche to just go and do whatever. Some people, but even Paul had detractors. Remember what he said? 
you know, talking about the grace of God, do we just kind of let the grace of God become a license to do whatever, sin, just live any way we want? Some people think that way. Hey, we're all under grace, you know. I'm going to cheat on my spouse. Hey, it's all grace. God knows our weakness. You know, people use that as a license. You know, well, you know, hey, nobody's perfect. Right, nobody is. Jesus is. But it's not a license to sin. That's a false understanding of what grace is. So why can the believer have God's assurance of his faithful commitment over our lives because of his new covenant? And I know I'm kind of made that transition there and can't elaborate on that, but we want to make sure you understand that our commitment today, God's commitment rather, is the new covenant that has been secured for us in Christ. Look at the scriptures, they'll be on the screen, but make a note of these in Romans 8, Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? And I would even put in their failure. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors. How? Through him who loved us. Verse 38, the ESV says, for I am sure. But I like the King James. It says, I am persuaded. Some of you need persuasion. You need to be persuaded that this is true. I am persuaded, I am sure, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers. I mean, he's just like throwing everything, the kitchen sink, you name it. Nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can do what? Separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Man, some of you need to read those, mark those, put them on the fridge, put them on your mirror. When you get up at me, you need to know about this covenant faithfulness of God. 1 Corinthians 1.9, I want to read it from the Amplified. The Amplified isn't so much a translation as much as it's a helpful Bible study to, tool that tries to bring out the nuances in the Greek and Hebrew, so that's why sometimes things are written in parentheses to kind of expand on words. But it's helpful sometimes in, in helping uh, us understand the, the original language. But 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful, parentheses, reliable, trustworthy, and therefore ever true to his promise, and he can be depended on. Boy, that's a lot there for just that word faithful. But he's trying to get you to see the fullness of what the Greek language doesn't, can't capture in the English. God is faithful, reliable, trustworthy. By Him, you were called into companionship and participation with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, for God to write you off, He'd have to write Himself off. He has committed the blood of Christ over your life. He's invested in you. The Bible says you are not your own. He's made a big investment in me and you. And he's going to be faithful to make sure that we are what he created us to be. Let me give you 
some simple takeaways this morning as we wrap this up. Principles to, to take home. Kind of summary about God's faithfulness in our failures. Number one, failure can give you a teachable spirit. You ever know somebody that knows everything? Can't learn anything? Guys on the job, you know, you're trying to teach them how to do something, and they just, oh, yeah, I know that, I know that, yeah, I know that. And then they show they don't know it. Teachable spirit. When you study the life of Moses from this point forward in Exodus 2, you make an amazing discovery about his life. He has a very teachable spirit. I'm not saying he's perfect. Later, if you go on and you know the story in Exodus 3, when God reveals his presence in that burning bush. Remember, it's just a day like any other day. He's out tending sheep, doing his chores, working for his father-in-law. You can just enjoy that moment for a minute, right? Working for his father-in-law. <laughs> he's in on the family business, and he's not even family. And God reveals himself in a moment. Sometimes you think you're just going on, doing your thing, and God's forgotten you. Failure, forgotten, finished, done, whatever. Be ready for the sudden moments of God. Be ready. Don't say, well, you know, I'm just going to wait till God, then I'll kind of start getting serious. God has a way of suddenly showing up to things. Suddenly moving. Why? Because he's on his timetable. He's not on Kronos time. He's on Kairos, sovereign time. And so failure can make you teachable. And so in that burning bush, if you remember the dialogue, and he's telling Moses at, at, at 80, I said 60, 80, 80 years of age. I did graduate from school. But, but 80 years of age, 80 years of age. And here the Bible says that Moses was mighty in deeds, and words, but when he's talking to the Lord now at 80, what's he saying? <laughs> whoa, 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 I can't do that. I barely even can talk. You want me to go to Pharaoh and say, say what? I mean, it's just preposterous. God, why didn't you keep me in there? And I could have worked from the inside. Well, that wasn't what God, you know, that wasn't the way it worked. You see, he's found out at the well of failure that he didn't have all the answers to life. And it's in that moment, and God was going to spend 40 years developing a teachable spirit. And failure, brokenness, if we let it. Remember what James 1 says about trials when they suddenly come up on you? And it says, and those who have been trained by it. You see, a teachable spirit means learning. You put your hand on the hot stove once... Don't do it again. But we're like, you know, I think this time, I think, I think it's cool. Even though it's bright red, I, you know, right? We just kind of keep, sometimes we have to keep learning the same lesson. Now, I don't know why it took 40 years, but I, I've always wondered, did it, was that necessarily because God, it took him that long? Or was Moses just, I mean, 40 years under the, 
mindset of Egypt and the Pharaoh, that, that is a lot of stuff to work out. Even the Israelites, you know, 40 years in the wilderness. They left Egypt, but Egypt never got out of them. And sometimes when we come to faith in Christ and we're just ready to go and jump on board and run out and start doing things, there's, there's a little there's a Egypt that's got to be worked out of our lives. We need to learn the ways of God. That's why we talk about God's process. Be a teachable. Be, have a teachable spirit to listen, to have discernment, to walk in the Spirit. Galatians says about keeping in step with the Spirit. On this observation, Psalm 119, I have it from the message. The message is, um, it's not a translation, it's more of a paraphrase. It's not necessarily for serious study, but sometimes they'll phrase something interesting. But I like this. Look at Psalm 119, verse 71. My troubles turned out all for the best. They forced me to learn from your textbook. Truth from your mouth means more to me than striking it rich in a gold mine. Why did my troubles, what did they teach me? They teach me to read the book, to know the purpose of God. Guys, when you put that bicycle together on December 24th at 1 a.m. and you got 18 parts left over, Read the book. Follow God's ways. Another lesson, and this is, uh, I didn't get into this, but I hope you go back and refresh yourself, is secondly, failure can give you a servant's heart. If you look in verse 16 and 17, a couple of verses there, I'm not going to read them, but this is the fugitive Moses sitting by the well, and he makes an observation of, uh, of some women out getting water at a well and there's some men that are harassing them and causing them trouble. And Moses, you know, fresh off of, you know, <laughs> his situation, he goes out and intervenes. Again, there's something about that rescue in his spirit. He's going to intervene. And those shepherds leave the women, and he ends up marrying one of those women. And, and here's what I want you to see is that, remember, and, and this is what's interesting, verse 17 Read it in your Bible. That after he intervened, saved the women, he watered their entire flock. The prince of Egypt went from the palace to doing some menial task that was reserved for the slave. Something about brokenness and failure tenderizes your heart and spirit. Have you found that to be true? There's something about life that when you've been broken and gone through brokenness and failures, all of a sudden you look at people a little differently, a little more merc mercifully, a little more gracefully, because you know the grace in your own life. He's watering the flock. What's he doing? He's serving them. He's serving them. He, he understood that, that brokenness that said, well, I don't have anything else to do. And, and he went out and began to work for them, serve them. You see, Moses, if you want to be a liberator, if you want to be a rescuer, start out by rescuing these obscure women out trying to water the, the flock of their husbands and masters. 
That's a kingdom principle about being faithful in the little, right? Moses, before you strike it out against Pharaoh, I need you to kind of intervene with these women out in the desert and run off those harassers. You see, we want to do these great exploits for God. Sometimes we can't even volunteer and give ourselves for the smallest of tasks. I'm always suspect of people. They're all in when they're the center of attention in a project. Instead of being somebody else's cheerleader and just being a servant. What did the Bible say? The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but came to serve. Remember the washing of... Uh, the feet there in John 13, 9. And he was going to wash the, the, the feet of... Jesus is going to wash his disciples' feet. Remember Peter's reaction? No way. You're not washing my feet. Remember what Jesus said? Look it up. John 13, 9. If I don't wash your feet, you have nothing to do with me. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? you don't let me serve you, if you don't let me function in this, then you have no part of me. I love Peter. Hey, then, then cover me in water. I mean, like, you know, I love that guy. I mean, he can go from hot to cold in a nanosecond, right? I love that. Just that passion, right? Be a servant. Last, last takeaway is that, and this is kind of wrapped all in here, failure teaches us to rely on God. There's one thing Moses learned, it was to rely on God's direction and power. My mother, who's in heaven, uh, was very talented as an artist, and uh, she uh, occasionally had a great talent of refinishing furniture. She would buy some, that's not her, uh, <laughs> uh, just in case you're curious, that's not her. Yeah, old mom had those Blue fingernails, right? Um, <clears throat> and I have a chair in my uh, office at home, and I remember maybe being three or four. I just I have visibly remember this old chair that she would be working on in the dining room, and she she would love to take stuff people threw out and refinish it. And that process of refinishing, some of you uh, do that, and you'll. You, you, you know, you'll show me a piece of furniture and say, yeah, that was thrown out in the trash. And look at it, and it's beautiful. I mean, it's marvelous. Some of you got a great talent for that. But in the finishing process, the refinishing process, very tedious, you know, oftentimes there's strong chemicals that you need to use to strip away the old varnish, the paint and all that. Then sandpapering, oh, that's the worst, right? The sandpapering, I mean, and I know there's machine sand, but there's some sandpapering you just got to do by hand. It can't, that, that little gizmo can't get in there, and you got to sand it down. Why? You want to expose all the, the, the nooks and the crooks and the crannies that need repair, and you want to make sure that that surface is nice and even. Boy, isn't that a good feeling when you sand that thing down, and you just take your hand, oh, it's just so smooth, just feels so good because of that work that you did, and then... Then, after that sanding process, then you take that varnish and you smooth it over. And all of a sudden, it starts to glisten and shine. 
And all of a sudden, that piece of junk began to be transformed. You see, you put the varnish on. The varnish is used to return it back to its former glory of what it was originally intended to look like. You see where I'm going with this? You see, God refinishes and works. And you know what the process we hate the most is that sandpaper. Oh, God. Oh, we don't like that. What's God doing? Just like when he called Peter, whose name Simon meant pebble, and he said, your name is Peter, which means rock or boulder. God doesn't see what is. He sees his vision of what will be the finished product. And that sanding, that's the hard part. We cry out, God, this hurts. But see, again, he's a God of process. He's bringing that. Var- he's going to bring that beauty out. He's the master craftsman. And then after he's done and smooths things out, then he, then he puts that varnish on, and all of a sudden our lives begin to reflect the light of Christ, the beauty of Christ. Some of you used to be mean as a snake before you came to Jesus. You still have your moments, but not as bad. But you lived lives far. And people look at your lives, look at our land, they see the shine of Jesus coming through. Who gets the glory for that? God gets the glory, should get the glory for that. Your identity in Christ is when God reveals the finished product. Well, we're not there, I'm not there, but He's refinishing me, and God is faithful. Failure is not fatal, guys. Failure doesn't mean you're finished. Failure doesn't mean you're forgotten, Teresa. But also failure means that God has not forgotten you. God hasn't forgotten us. He's still at work if, if we still will let him continue. Be encouraged. God had great and mighty things. Well, I'm never a Moses. I'm not. No, you're probably not, and I'm not either. We're never going to do some of that. But the important thing is you be faithful at what God is destined for your life, what God has called for your life. Don't settle because you're 60, 70, 80, whatever, and say, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. You're not done. God is faithful. Don't let the failures of the past handicap you to the future.